we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. It's episode 74. It's the 7th of December. And with me in the flesh is the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. How are you? So it's a bit unusual, dear listener. Normally, we're recording... Scott's at home, I'm at home, and we do it electronically, but he's got internet problems, so he's with me in the flesh in podcast headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope we don't get uh, put off by staring into each other's eyes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, that's the plan. So very good. All right, Scott, well, we've got once again a bumper edition. The religious world has Stop. not yes. let us down tonight. So no. we'll kick off. And... Uh, this was interesting. From The Guardian, an article titled Woman Cannot Give Evidence in a Niqab, Australian Court Rules. And an Australian judge has declined a request from a Muslim woman to wear a niqab while giving evidence in a damages claim against police, where she alleges that officers assaulted her during a raid on her home. So she's, she's claimed assault, going to court, and has uh, said to the judge... She wants to give evidence in the niqab, and the judge uh, said no. Said no. Mm. Fantastic result. Absolutely, it's yes. a damn good result because it's, you know, you've said it before. I've said it since. You've got to be able to read someone's expression. You've got to be able to see them, mm. and the niqab doesn't allow that to happen. All you've got is these two little eyes poking out from the world, and you cannot. A, a jury cannot then sit there and. Uh, ascertain whether or not they're telling the truth without being able to see the whole the whole face. Mm. So I think it's I think it's a very good move. Yeah, yep. I hope that it's carried forward throughout all the injustices. Yeah, hopefully, system. not successfully appealed. Well, that's it. Yeah, mm. I mean, it, it could be appealed, I suppose, but you know, one would hope that it's not. Mm. So she was offered alternatives that the court would be closed to the public, uh, or that she give evidence in a remote room. But she declined to accept the alternatives because there would still be male legal representatives in the room. Um, and the judge said, female judge, I believe, um, said, It's my role to ensure that there is a trial which is fair to all parties. I must balance, on the one hand, the need to respect the first plaintiff's religious beliefs. In this case, those beliefs means that she may choose not to give evidence, which could impact on the successful prosecution. On the other hand, I must take into account whether I would be impeded in my ability to fully access the reliability and credibility of the evidence of the first plaintiff if I'm not afforded the opportunity of being able to see her face when she gives evidence. So, um, and I'm weighing all that up. The judge said, nope, I won't be able to do my job properly uh, if you'll cut it up. Uh, overseas, there was a Canadian case. Um, a woman alleged she was sexually assaulted um, and declined to give evidence uh, unless she could be covered up. And the Supreme Court in Canada eventually ruled that the child judge had not appropriately taken into account the woman's religion. So that was overturned at a yeah. Superior Court in Canada. And that is a concern. I mean, like, he, he, well, I mean, they, they could take it to the full bench and then, hmm. then, you, then do you go to the federal court or not oh well uh well which court were we in here we're in the supreme court in was new it? south wales I was believe. it really the supreme court or district court well, district, district court, court. Yeah. so in it could go from district court to supreme court yeah. to the full court of the supreme court to eventually the high court but unlikely well, you never unlikely. know you, you, well you never know i mean it, mm. it could end up being bankrolled by muslims and that sort of stuff to yes to get the whole thing overturned and that sort of stuff but i wouldn't have thought so mm. the judge said here scott what is required is an approach that balances the vital rights protecting freedom of religion and trial fairness when they conflict you, you know where i'm heading to with this <laughs> You're heading to getting rid of the whole freedom of religion versus the trial. Well, I'm getting to a bill of rights. Yeah. See, you could have a bill of rights that says, oh, you know, people have a right to religious freedom. Mm. And in the bill of rights, it says you have a right to a fair trial. 
the two conflict each other. And people think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is I'm charged with assault and the person who is giving evidence against me refuses to uncover their face. Mm. So I say that's not a fair trial. Exactly, yeah. And where, when you, this is a classic situation of a Bill of Rights conflict mm. and ultimately who's going to decide what's the case will be a judge. Yeah. And as we've seen over the years, they're often Judges not that good. They're not infallible. No. no. So it would be much better to just pass a law, for example, that people in a witness box must show their face. Yes. It's simple. You just do it. And yeah. if you don't like the law, kick out that group and and put another mob in Parliament mm. to change the law if that's what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it really has to be. Um, it mm. really has to be a legislative answer. Mm. One thing I thought about with this, Scott, would be, so the judge here has said, I need to see somebody's face to know what they're... What they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean a blind person should be, you know, not allowed to attend jury service? They have um, recently ruled that deaf the deafs can't the deaf can't have translators in the room, so you yes. can't have a deaf person as a jury as a, as a juror. Yes, a blind person. Uh, yeah, it's again a good point. I don't know. Mm. I, I I think that the I, I'd allow the blind in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. See what happens with jury trials is, um, like there's a panel of people. Mm. And the prosecution and the defence knows a little bit about each person. Yeah. And they can... They've got a certain number of just objections they can make without cause, Mm. and then they've got objections they can make with cause. So, you know, it would be up to either side to just reject a blind person without even having to say why. So you could argue that the system has already got something in place that if you don't want a blind juror on your case you can just object uh, without cause. So that might be the solution to that. But it's a bit of a sticky one. It probably is a bit sticky, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the argument is that a blind person has become so attuned to person's to other voice things. Yeah, that, that they're, they're able to work out what, what they're saying, yes. whether or not they're saying the truth. Because yeah. if I was a blind person, I would want to be able to, you know, have the opportunity to be on jury trial, mm. perhaps. I wouldn't want to be discounted. So... Mm. Um, so there you go. Hmm. Yeah, interesting one. Interesting little conundrum there. <clears throat> now, uh, oh, the Catholic Church. <laughs> we've got, uh, you know, we've talked in the past, Scott, yeah. about these various groups. and uh, The Truth, Justice and Healing Council, isn't it? Yes, that's yeah. who we've got this time. Truth, Justice and Healing Council has called for new national laws making it a crime not to report information about child sex abuse unless it is obtained by a priest during confession. confession. You know, even Tony Abbott, who's one of the country's premier Catholics, yes. he's even said that the uh, seal of the confessional should be broken in this case. Did he? Yes. Right. Yes. So, And I remember at the time... Um, George Pell was still in Australia, mm-hmm. and he said at the time he, he just he just repeated he said the seal of confession was inviolable. Yes. And they said, well, what about? He said the seal of the confession was inviolable. Mm. And they said, what about? And he said the seal of the confession was inviolable. Inviolable. Mm. Mm. And I just thought to myself at the time he was just making a fool of himself. Mm. And whereas Abbott came out and he said something, he was quite considered in his approach. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I think that uh, they're barking up the wrong tree there. Mm. So this is a formal... They've watched too many law, law and orders. Wow. <laughs> They're just protecting their patch. Yeah. It's a misguided protection. Um, so this is a formal submission made to the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. Um, and they're saying this exemption would reflect Victorian legislation granting a similar occasion of privilege. Uh, oh, they're saying that this is similar to the privilege that lawyers have when communicating with their clients so dear listener you know if a stretch dear listener as a criminal lawyer if my client prior to trial says confesses that you know i did it yeah then i as a lawyer cannot um 
uh, reveal, the re- reveal that evidence, yeah. and uh, and I'm not expected to. So yeah. I would never be put on a witness stand and asked that question. So, so the the uh, the Truth, Justice, and Healing Council, Scott, is saying, well, we're the same. We just want the same privilege as a lawyer has. I don't think they are the same. I mean, like the the confessional is not. Uh, you, you don't expect that you're going to get a confession out of your um, client when you're a solicitor. You, you don't. No, it wouldn't be unheard of. It wouldn't be unheard of, but you don't expect you're going to get a confession out of it. Mm. Whereas when you go into the confessional, you expect someone's going to confess something to you. Yes, perhaps not child sexual. Abuse. No, not yeah. child sexual abuse. Yes, or murder. Or mm. murder, but mm. something like that can come up from time to time. Mm. So, I, yeah, no, I disagree. I think that, um, I think that the, the two are entirely separate uh-huh. and the confessional should be viable. <laughs> well, you know, there's two different purposes going on here. I mean, lawyers have that exemption for a public benefit. Yeah. Because it encourages full and frank communication from clients to their legal counsel and they may hedge their bets on what they tell you not knowing whether it's good or bad for their case um and sometimes it might be good and they don't even know it but mm. they don't want to tell you because they're exactly. worried if, if they thought that that evidence could come out they might withhold it so mm. it does actually help achieve a just solution if you've got full communication and uh the other thing about it is um, ultimately, if somebody is seeing a, a lawyer and is in a position where they might confess to a crime, they're on the police radar. Like, yeah. at that point, they've been charged. Mm. It's technically possible they could come to you prior to being charged, but extremely unlikely. Mm. The, the cases we're talking about are that the accused is is being charged or is about to be, Mm. and they're on the police radar. So they confess to the uh, lawyer. The lawyer says, I can no longer act for you if you're going to plead not guilty. If if you're going to plead guilty, I can act for you. Mm. If you're going to plead not guilty, I can no longer act for you. In effect, what happens is the person has to get another lawyer, Mm. but they're still... In the, on the police radar, they're still going to be charged. They're not escaping justice. Mm. Uh, the difference with the priest confession is, in many of those cases, it's quite possible that they have, they're not on the police radar yet and they mm. will continue to offend mm-hmm. uh, without anybody knowing. Mm. There's a big difference in timing there. Yeah, there is. And, yeah. and priests actually advertise... Oh, we won't tell anybody. Exactly. Like, it's yeah. not something that, you know, maybe people <laughs> don't realise. They're quiet about, are they? When it comes to lawyers, maybe people don't realise there's a, that privilege yeah. that's there. But pr- priests actually advertise it, mm. the seal of the confessional. And why, why would you want it? Like, as a priest, um, why would you want that? You, you the, the thought that somebody could confess to... Currently Murder. raping children yeah. and and that it's ongoing and that they're doing it and that you have to remain silent. Why would you want that? Yeah, it just you should uh, you should say we don't want that privilege anymore. Yeah, make it a law that we we can't. Yeah, um, they're mad to try and retain a privilege yeah, exactly. like that. You just yeah. wouldn't want it. Mm. So um, so I think that's a crucial difference. Is is when people are. Confessing to a lawyer, they're not going to escape justice. Exactly, because justice has already started, and that's exactly stuff, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's that. Um, and on the same uh, vein, we've previously mentioned Frank, Father Frank Brennan. Yeah, he's quite a famous media personality, Jesuit priest, um, well regarded, and uh, article that we've linked to here. Um, He's said that um, he would disobey that law. If a law came out and said that he has to um, tell the authorities, then he would just disobey it. Mm. Classic case. Of people um, thinking they're above the law. Yes. You know, they, they have 
they have waved their magic book about and said this is God's law and this is what matters and yep. then man's law doesn't matter. Yeah. Now I find that um, repugnant in the extreme. Yeah. You know, man's law may not be perfect, but it is the best law we've got at the moment. Sorry, people's law. Mm. It may not be perfect, but it is the best law that we've got. Mm. So I think that we've got to do that. And if you've got a priest saying he would ignore it, well, you know, bug the bug the confessional. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. You yes. Yeah. Just quoting a few things from that article here. Um, uh, Given the separation of church and state, the Royal Commission is not... This is Father Frank Brennan. Mm. Given the separation of church and state, the Royal Commission is not in a position to prescribe changes to church teaching, discipline or structures, but it is in a position to prescribe minimum standards of accountability, transparency and training. Well, this to me is... The Catholic Church is operating a dangerous workplace. Mm. And we as a society quite often say to builders and all sorts of people... you've got to down tools and that sort of stuff. You cannot run your workplace in this manner. Mm. So you can't have a ladder on this site above a certain height. You have to use scissor lifts and Mm. whatever. Like, the Catholic Church is operating a dangerous workplace and we should be saying to them... You know, things like the celibacy laws and things like this is um, dangerous yeah, to our community. Yeah, exactly. So we do have a right. It's not about separation of... Well, it is about separation of church and state. It is, because you, you, you are, you're going in there and you're saying, well, church has got one set of rules, but those mm. rules can be overridden by yeah. the law of the land. Yeah, there's a priority here. Exactly. And society's... The civilization experiment that we're conducting takes exactly. priority over your mumbo-jumbo nonsense. Exactly, yes. Uh, Mm. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, and he said somewhere, uh, I forget where it was, but I've just got written here, but don't touch celibacy! Exclamation yeah. mark. Yeah, you know, which I find ridiculous that they. Yes. So that's Father Frank Brennan, who who gets on various shows and Q and A and all the rest, and exactly. sings as a as, as a, a moderate. Exactly, and, yeah. a, and a good voice for uh, for for the priesthood and basically saying don't touch celibacy don't mm-hmm. force us what to do mm-hmm. and don't um don't tell us that we must reveal secrets from the confessional yeah. so um bloody joke isn't there it? we go scott quick quiz for you mm. essential report uh various things they quiz people about current liberal labor two-party preferred uh 5248 to labor party correct yes one interesting question here that they had is they asked people where do you believe you go after you die? And uh, I'll give you the, uh, the five answers, and then you can split these up. So, you know, you're in person, I can give you a pen. <laughs> so can make it easy for you. Uh, right, where do you believe you go after you die? Um, oh, I better mix these up, because you'll know if I'm reading from the top of the list. <laughs> this is the most popular. Okay, um... You are reincarnated. Uh, you go to an afterlife. You go uh, nowhere. You go somewhere else, and you don't know. So, where do you go after you die, Australian public? What do they think? You're reincarnated, an afterlife, nowhere, somewhere else, and don't know. What do you reckon, Scott? Nowhere is probably 30 to 40 percent. Mm. Yeah. Uh, reincarnated is probably 5 to 10. Yes. There's an afterlife, mm. there's probably 40 to 50 there. Right. Somewhere else, 15. Mm. And the balance being don't know. Right, okay. Well,. You're close to all of that. So nowhere, thirty-two percent. Really? That was the biggest category in in the of, of the five. Uh, don't knows. Oh, sorry. To an afterlife was twenty-seven percent. Then we had don't knows at twenty-five percent. Reincarnated at nine, and somewhere else at seven. So. Um, I didn't do too badly. Yeah, you didn't do too bad. So thirty-two percent. Afterlife was a bit high. 
So 32% say nowhere and 25% don't know. And we're going to do an article maybe next week if I have time because somebody was able to go through those statistics and then looked at other things to do with climate change and other questions from the same um, essential report. You must be able to get all of the basic statistics and then mix and match them as you want. And basically it kind of turned out that People who wrote don't know on things like afterlife also wrote don't know about things like climate change and other things. They're just inherently undecided sort of people <laughs> on all issues. So, um, so that was that. Ah, this article from Holland. Yeah, that was disturbing, wasn't it? Mm, so there was some sort of... Um, it's public funded, isn't it? The, mm. um, they're a group that deals with um, hate speech and that sort of stuff. Yes, and there were some comments on an online sort of discussion, um, social media type thing. It was for Moroccans living in the Netherlands, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and there was some stuff made in the comments section, and um, basically... Uh, where some people said that gay, you know, death threats against gay people in yeah. the comment section, and some people complained to this government watchdog to say, "Hey, you need to chase this up because there's people here levelling death threats at gay people." Yeah. And the government group responsible for this said, "Oh no, it's okay because they're Muslim and that's part of their religion." Yeah, and that was really disgusting that they did that. Mm. Now, admittedly, towards the end, the very end of the article, yes. They backtracked on it. Yes. They've said that um, a spokesman for the Mind Hotline admitted that the further research of the issue, it had concluded that the complaint had been unjustly assessed. Mm. He added that when the complaint involved calling for violence against a particular group, the belief of that person making the threats should not be a matter. Mm. Yep. Now, that was where they concluded at the end. But you've got to wonder what it was was powering their cognitive thinking at the time. What? <laughs> I mean, where did they think it was okay to um, just go in and make a comment like that? Mm. You know, it, it's absolutely insane that you would then say, well, a, a particular religious group can have that opinion, mm. but the Christians in, Demo in the Netherlands can't. <laughs> well, it all came down to a conflict of rights again. Exactly. It was, yeah. it was, a, it was a, it were rights to your religious belief overcoming rights of gay people not to have death, death threats, threats against yeah. them. So uh, a misguided balancing of, of so-called rights once again. So, yeah. so anyway, that was their initial decision, which they realised was a bad idea, and they well, changed I mean, they, it. They must, have, they must have got a hell of a backlash on it to, to, mm. to change their mind on it, but mm. still and all. Mm. Mm. Back further closer to home... Major online sales sites, including eBay and Gumtree, will meet with a Melbourne-based Jewish group that fights anti-Semitism to crack down on the sale of goods that incite hatred. Um, sites that have so far signed up to the Cyber Hate Meeting include eBay, Gumtree, Booktopia and Angus and Robertson. Um, so basically, if these groups see... Uh, sort of hate speech or anti-Semitic material for sale on their sites, they will take them down. Mm. Uh, there's an example given here of a Melbourne eBay seller who spoke to Fairfax Media, had their listing for a gollywog doll pulled down last week because it was in breach of the company's discrimination <laughs> policy. Yeah, you can probably go a little bit too far. I mean, a gollywog doll... <laughs> We're, we're from a different era, aren't we, Scott? Well, we are from a different era, I suppose, but, you know... What, what, wouldn't a little... Wouldn't, what's a, go a Gollywood doll is a little black girl in a doll. Exactly. Like, like, it's got the, you know, like, the, the wouldn't, gollywog hair and that sort of stuff. I mean, right. it's... Um, yes. But wouldn't a, a little girl <laughs> with an afro... Want it's to okay. play with the little black doll, I perhaps? I, like, I would have thought so, but apparently not. Right. But, um, I, be because I the racist thing would be to have a shot filled of Caucasian dolls. Well, I would have thought so, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I'm a bit, a bit mm. mystified to that one, but anyway, it is what it is. But um, Well, you know, here's the big test for this group. Um, so... 
you know, I'll just quote something here. Keeping the site free of hateful and offensive materials is important to eBay because the platform is about connecting a diverse and passionate community of buyers and sellers, blah, blah. So, um, goods that incite hatred. Well, are these sites like Booktopia going to stop selling the Quran and the Bible? Probably not, no. But those two books both have very homophobic things to say about them. They've also got, um, you know, being a woman in them is a problem. You you, you could not get any more anti-Semitic than the Quran. Quran, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mein Kampf looks like... (laughs) (laughs) Looks like just a, you know... a child, from fairy right. tale exactly. compared, compared to, to the Quran. The Quran. Yeah. Yeah. Bet you they won't be stopping that. No, they won't stop selling that for sure. Oh, that'll be yeah. So there we go. If you want to sell a gollywog, you're in trouble. But if you want to publish the, if you want to sell a secondhand copy of the Quran, yeah, calling yeah. for the death of Jews Jesus. everywhere and yeah, Christians, you're right. yeah. um, you'll probably be okay. I yeah. suspect. Mm. Scott, uh, I didn't tell you about this one. Uh, oh, okay. Coming up to Christmas, mm-hmm. dear listener, probably thinking of, you know, what sort of atheist-themed or secular-themed Christmas present you might want to buy your loved one. And uh, there's one here. Uh, there's a... Everyone loves board games at yeah. Christmas time. So there's a Christmas-themed board game that pits Jesus against Santa. <laughs> And it's been described as offensive, shocking, and blasphemous. <laughs> which, offensive, shocking, and blasphemous. That's all three, isn't it? Sounds like our sort of game. <laughs> Santa versus Jesus, made by London company Corner Games, is played by two teams. Uh, one for each of the festive figures, who battle through challenges in, a t- in an attempt to win the most believers... <laughs> Danny Webster, spokesperson for the Evangelical Alliance, says he believes a board game helping people learn about Jesus' Christmas would be a great innovation. But he has a problem with the Santa vs. Jesus game because, quote, it trivialises Christian belief and equates them both as fictional characters. (laughs) Still quoting him, with over four out of ten people in the UK mistakenly thinking that Jesus was not a real historical person, this game won't help correct that, he opined. Well, the game has probably hit the nail right on the head by saying that he wasn't a historically accurate figure. Yes, indeed. Yeah, you know. Yes. It's, um... You're probably wondering what's in the game, how it works. Okay. There's a little bit here. Um, uh, well, actually, before I get on to how it works... Just further reviews. You can buy this on Amazon, dear listener. Uh, one of the reviews on, on Amazon was a bit less measured than, uh, than that fellow from the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, this reviewer said, um, I dare you, creators of this game and Amazon, to make a game about Muhammad. You wouldn't, would you? Then why pick Jesus? Christians are currently soft targets, so why not jump on the bandwagon? That's the review. <laughs> Scott, I think that person is missing the point. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's a compliment to Christianity that that game is actually made. Yeah, because exactly. it says, because they say we know we joke. can make this, you can take a joke, and yeah. you're not going to kill us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's why they're not doing it with Muhammad. Yeah. So, you know, Christians, take it as a compliment. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, I called it upsetting, cheap and nasty to corrupt the beauty and meaning of Christmas in this way. But the game itself, um, <clears throat> how do you play? This is Santa versus Jesus. Yeah. Mm, 20 pounds. Uh, so 40, 40 bucks. 40 bucks, yeah. yeah. I gather from reading a few things, it's not a game that you could play lots of. You'd start to know the answers kind right. of thing. You get probably a few goes out of it and then yeah, might lose its yeah. kick. How do you play? Uh, players get into two teams, Team Santa and Team Jesus, and fight it out through a variety of festive-themed puzzles, riddles, jigsaws, building challenges, and brain games to win believers. The team with the most believers at the end of the game are the winners. Can your team work together to save a group of North Koreans in prison for illegally singing Christmas carols? 
Guess the punchlines of awful Christmas jokes in the new quiz show. Have yourself a merry little quizmas. <laughs> or will you land a role in the new Christian rom-com? There's something about the Virgin Mary. <laughs> uh, you can have from four to 16 players. That's good. 12, I figure, would be an ideal number. 12 disciples playing that. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah, six on each team. <laughs> There's something for your Christmas stocking if you are scratching around. Um, Scott, this is an old article from 2014. But in the UK, they banned um, teaching of creationism from all schools, from all state schools. Um, Effectively, no school in the United Kingdom can teach creationism or any anti-scientific dogma without losing the entirety of its funding, as they would be violating the requirement on every academy and free school to provide a broad and balanced curriculum. Which is what we're arguing for in the secular party. Exactly, yeah. Is that if you want some government funding of any sort, you must take your religious indoctrination classes and do them before or after, after school. school. Exactly. Not, not during yeah. school time. So that was good to know because people might say to us that that's an incredibly harsh law. It's been done in Britain. Well, this is the point. Yeah. Dear secularists out there... Uh, from this article, links on our website, 2014 June, um, they expanded it and made it very clear. So apparently in England, if there's any government funding for a school, they're not yeah. teaching Bible stuff. Exactly. You know, it's um, the BHA Faith Schools campaigner, Richie Thompson, noted the reason behind this change is very every young person is entitled to a high quality, broad and balanced education. Hmm. And he's right. Mm. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, so when we're on the hustings for the state election for Frank... Yes. People might say, oh, that sounds a bit extreme. We can say... It's been done It's not unusual. This is the thing. Mm. A lot of the stuff we do here is very unusual. It is, people, it is unusual here in Australia. It, no, in, sorry, in Australia it's normal. Yeah. Around the globe, yeah. they would look at us and think, you guys are mad. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, speaking of madness around the globe... <laughs> So there's been another, you know, terrorist, well, yeah. jihadi, jihadi, jihadi attack, attack yeah. uh, this time Ohio State University. And this is the classic example of the regressive left. The assistant director of residence life at the Ohio State University on her Facebook urged her followers to have compassion for Artan after he expressed a desire to kill a billion infidels and then tried to kill as many as he could at Ohio State University. She also urged people to think of the pain he must have been in and use the hashtags Black Lives Matter and say his name uh, as part of her tag. We've got to the point of victimhood where jihadis are now getting... Sympathy, sympathy from the regressive exactly. left and that after is, killing people. Exactly. And that is what is really, really wrong about that, is that she's saying, you know, pour your heart out to this guy. Mm. And you think to yourself, he just murdered some people. Yes. You know, I gather he drove his car into a group of people and jumped out and started stabbing them. Right. And he was shot or something by the cops, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't get the exact details of yeah. it, but... Uh, but it sounded something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was shot by the cops anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely ridiculous that you've got someone, you know, the whole post is there, you know. Um, a member of our family, if you think it's okay to celebrate his death and share a photo of his dead body and I see it in my timeline, I will unfriend you. Mm. I pray you find compassion for his life. Mm. I mean, no, he doesn't deserve any compassion. No. You know, he's... Parents probably deserve compassion because they've lost their son, but the man himself, he's probably better off dead. <laughs> yeah. So the killer in one of his Facebook posts uh, said, My brothers and sisters, I'm sick and tired of seeing my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters being killed and tortured everywhere. Seeing my fellow Muslims being tortured, raped and killed in Burma led to a boiling point. I can't take it anymore. So for the killings in Burma by 
the Burmese of the Rohingyans, yeah. he's decided to lash out at students in Ohio State University. And the thing that has been pointed out here, the US government has explicitly condemned the Burmese government for, for, for persecuting Muslims in Burma. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to blame the US government for a lot of things, but I think currently, you know, they haven't done anything in Burma particularly. No. Mm. If anything, they've been on the side of the the side of the ring and saying that this has got to stop. Mm. So yeah. anyway, uh, calls for sympathy for that fellow. Goodness me. No, buggering. Mm. Change of pace, Google tax. Yes. Mm. It was very I, interesting, this, wasn't it? Mm. So I, I wasn't really aware that the Google tax had been passed, but it is, and it's just sort of waiting to come into effect. Exactly. It seems. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so basically... What they're saying is that it might be one of the toughest in the world. Mm. It's a bit early to tell. Yeah, we've got to see how the ATO implements the law and that sort of thing, but um, it's sounding fairly tough. Mm. Um, Comes into effect July the 1st, 2017. Mm. Uh, Alongside the multinational anti-avoidance law. Mm. The MAL has relatively narrow scope, focusing on company tax structures that are designed to avoid having a taxable presence in Australia, similar to those of Google and Microsoft. In contrast, the Google tax will have a wider scope and would be potentially more powerful weapon for the ATO to combat tax avoidance by multinationals. Mm. You know, it's um, <clears throat> it certainly sounds like they've they've given everything over to the to the ATO and they've now sort of left the ball in their court as to how they played it. Mm. That it's um, got four elements. Yeah. So, uh, to be subject to this Google tax, a company must have entered into a scheme to divert profits from Australia. The profits are subject to an effective foreign tax of less than 24%. The tax structure lacks economic substance, and the principal purpose of the scheme is to obtain a tax benefit in Australia. So, they're the four elements, and on something like that, um, Someone like Apple might well be subject to... Well, Apple clearly falls foul, yeah. Mm. So, uh, the bit I like about this, Scott, as I read on further, was the legislation has a pay first and argue later component to it. (laughs) Because remember I was saying to you that these companies, like... They could get All you need is Apple to produce a couple of faulty phones. Yeah, that, and then they've gone that, under. That, yeah. um, that catch on fire and are banned, and you never know. Ooh. And so now they're just saying to these groups, well, you have to pay, and uh, and you can go through the court process, and if you're successful at the end of that, well, you'll get your money back. Exactly. But rather than us having to wait for the money. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So... Um, so the diverted profits tax. Looking forward to seeing that in operation. Yeah, and this is one of the um, few uh, things that you can actually thank uh, former treasurer Hockey for. Right. He was his. Um, it was his law that was actually brought into into pass, and I believe it was passed with the support of the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. But it was um, either way, it's worked out quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be good because you know again Amazon's coming to this country and my question is yeah how much are they going to pay how much, they're going to put a lot of people out of business yeah how much tax they're going to pay so um, laws like that will make them they'll make them think tip. twice yeah. anyway yeah mm, yeah dear listener not too long ago you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Right. Uh, we've also mentioned on this podcast on several occasions yes. that uh, the religious right is taking over the Liberal Party yeah. and they're branch stacking where they see opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the Liberal Party better be careful because mm-hmm. they're going to have a Tea Party 
take over. Exactly. And then they'll, they'll be unelectable for a generation. Mm. Mm. So this article, uh, headed Family First, Conservative Christians Join the Victorian Liberals. Um, uh, Conservative Turnbull MPs are recruiting members of hardline micro-parties such as Family First and the Australian Christians in a move described as horrifying, a horrifying lurch to the right that could thwart the Liberals' chances at the next Victorian election. So Kevin Andrews is in the thick of it. Um... Uh, they're targeting Mormon and evangelical churches as well as probus and community groups. And uh, uh, those who are not part of this Christian um, coalition, they're worried. Absolutely, mm. and they damn well should be, yeah. Mm. You know, the uh, where was it? I think I'd written it down. No, here what? it is. With opposition leader Matthew Guy keen to capture the political middle ground against Daniel Andrews, stadium MPs are concerned it could hinder their chances at the 2018 Victorian poll or result in an uprising of candidates in future elections with single-issue agendas such as winding back abortion laws. Mm. And, you know, they've got every damn reason to be scared too. Mm. Because, you know, the Christians, they... What, they represent... 30% of the population, mm. yet they could end up stacking the branches mm. and you end up with the Liberal Party being the Australian Christians, mm. you know, which is a nonsense. One MP, there's a Conservative MP, told Fairfax Media, we've had a strong two years, but if this shit gets any worse, I think it could really undo <laughs> us. <laughs> oh, it's going to. Look, if you were the Labor Party... You'd just you'd, sit back and watch. You'd be encouraging them. Exactly. Oh, yeah. you'd be you'd be dropping uh, Liberal Party um, paraphernalia at Christian churches mm. is what you'd be doing, mm. uh, you, and, and getting them encouraging them because it'll it'll destroy the Liberal Party if they let it happen. It really will destroy the Liberals, yeah. And mm. it is. Um, and from a former member of the Liberal Party, it is a real mm. it is a real sad time to see it happen. Mm. Speaking of sad times, Scott. Yeah. It's a sad time for Irish priests. Maybe I didn't send you this one. Yeah, you did. Uh, in the Catholic News? Yep. Uh, titled, Last Priests in Ireland are Overworked and Depressed. So, um, Ireland's priests are overworked and being turned into sacrament dispensing machines. <laughs> who are increasingly prone to depression with suicide on the rise, according to co-founder of Ireland's Association of Catholic Priests. Um, uh, This is sad. At least five priests have committed suicide in recent years, according to the report. Uh, The vast majority of Irish priests are over 70. Uh, They're living increasingly isolated and lonely lives. And, you know, they're like the last of the Mohicans. They mm. can just tell that their little line is coming to an end. Mm. People don't like them. And all they're left doing is... Dispensing sacraments, yeah. Mm. So, so there you go. Sad times for priests in Ireland. It is a sad time, but it's mm. also they've got to understand that they are on the wrong side of history, mm. you know. It's, uh, and if the, if their um, if their church would actually move with the times and allow married priests and that sort of stuff, they might have a chance of reversing it. Mm. Scott, we've all heard of Islamophobia. Yeah. Have you heard of the term Islamophilia before this article? Not before this article. It's no. Surprising, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great word. It is. Yeah. It accurately describes a lot of what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, uh, so. The protective cloak of Islamophilia. What is more problematic? Um, basically, it starts off saying, you know, Islamophobia, what are you talking about? You know, fear of Islam is a rational response. But what's more problematic is Islamophilia. Philia is one of the four Greek terms for love, but in psychological circles, it refers to pathological affection. Pedophilia comes to mind as the most heinous example. Uh, Islamophilia's most common manifestation is where progressives treat Muslims as vulnerable children whose feathers can't be ruffled. The Islamophilia crowd damage Western democracies and Islam for they invite us to sacrifice elements of our own freedom 
to redeem ourselves against the largely imaginary sins against Muslims in the colonial past. So, um, was widely prevalent in the wake of Orlando, and um, in fact, Orlando was a good illustration of how Islam does not have a monopoly on bad ideas, be they homophobia, the suppression of female desire, or an aversion to free thought but how religion is particularly good at magnifying and intensifying them before rendering them non-negotiable by linking them to the literal word of God. That is true. Absolutely, yeah. You've got idiots yeah. who might be homophobic, but religion takes it to another level. Absolutely, and, gives and it, it magnifies a, it and that sort of stuff, and you've just got to deal with it. You know? it gives it a hard edge. So, um, uh, so, yeah, I think Islamophilia is going to be a word that we'll hear more of. Scott, backpack attacks. We just had our parliament... Yeah, turn itself inside out over 15% versus 13% versus 19%. It was... Yeah. It was was really untidy, wasn't it? It was horse trading at its finest as they just... I think Darren Hinch jumped the shark when he went for 13%. Exactly, Mm. yeah. So uh, he even admitted afterwards that he just lost it. And yeah, should have just agreed to 15. 15. Exactly. Then they wouldn't have had to go to the Greens and all that sort of stuff. It would have been over with. Mm. Anyway. Article here from The Conversation. Because obviously there were discussions about how do backpackers fare in this country compared to others. Mm. Maybe all of the backpackers will stop coming here with this tax and go to Canada or New Zealand or whatever. And this is an article from The Conversation highly in-depth looking at uh, the comparative incomes, the comparative tax, superannuation, buying power of your money, etc., etc. And at the end of it concluded that Australia, even with a 15% tax, was still uh, a better option for a backpacker than New Zealand, Canada, or the United Kingdom. Exactly. You know, it, it says even with the even whether the rate was nineteen fifteen or ten point five, backpackers are better off in terms of after tax wages. Mm. So it really is largely the other countries might have had lower tax rates, but they don't have the high wages mm. that we have here. Mm. So, uh, so yes, dear listener, if you're a you know, a French backpacker weighing up your options of where to go, then Australia is still a good one. <laughs> mm. Unless, of course, you can't speak English, in which case you're probably better off in, in Canada. Well, no, you don't need English to pick fruit, do you? No, that's true. Mm. Yeah. Senator James McGrath. Yes. So we also this week had the situation of the, of the protesters in Parliament House. Mm. What a spectacle. It was a spectacle, yeah. I mean, it was... Did you see that woman screaming her head off? No, I didn't see that, no. So she was in Parliament House and was being dragged out. And basically there was a guy on each arm. Yeah. Clearly just supporting her arm and she was dragging her feet. She was screaming like a two-year-old at a shopping centre. Really? Oh, and just screaming her head off. Yeah. It was a, t- it was a pathetic pathetic display yeah they lost all credibility with that woman just screaming her head off yeah if she had just remained stoically silent i would have had some some sympathy for them but she completely lost it exactly yeah uh for me so so you agree with senator mcgrath well senator james mcgrath i'll i'll quote him as he's describing the um the protesters (laughs) as a bunch of bong sniffing dull bludging moss munching glue guzzling Kmart Castros now that to me was was Keating-esque yeah it was yes particularly the Kmart Castros yes (laughs) that's good so um, like those people they didn't get charged with anything they didn't get charged with anything and the girl I'm talking about, well, girl, lady, that I'm talking about, she was the one who also climbed on the roof of Peter Dutton's electoral office. Oh, okay. And had been taken to court, and the magistrate said, oh, actually, if you were my daughter, I'd be quite proud of what you've done. 
So that's up here in Queensland. Yeah. She's climbed onto the roof of Peter Dutton's office, had, you know, the police and whatever it had to be called, all sorts of people wasting their day getting her down, ladders and, mm. you know, no doubt fire trucks and all the rest of it, and taken to court, and the judge said that, and literally a few days later, she's, she's made her way down to Canberra and, yeah. and done that. Well, you know, it does make you wonder if they had a job, whether or not they'd <laughs> have time to do this sort of thing. I think thing. she claimed to be working for the Uniting Church, and the Uniting Church came out and said, well, actually, she doesn't work for us. She does a little bit of volunteering here or there, but, um, yeah, unlikely, isn't it? So, um, yeah. by all means, have a protest, but uh, that was... I really, you know, if you're going to do that, you've got to expect a copper fine. Exactly. Like, yeah. I can't believe that they did, they could do that at Parliament House and, and not copper fine. fine. Yeah. There should be some censure for that. Well, I would have thought so. You know, it's it would have been a reasonable thing to... Yep. Slap a sla- even if it's just a slap on the wrist of a hundred bucks or something like that, they ought to be fined or something. Yeah, and you know, in the watch house for a few uncomfortable hours while you're being processed mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. Um, but if you're just dragged out and and escorted to the next bus stop, that's that's not going to do the trick. No, it's not. Mm. Adler shotgun. A uh, couple of different articles on the Adler shotgun, and in summary. What we've got is the Adler shotgun is a lever arch style of shotgun, which in previous incarnations, this style of gun was relatively tame, but this version allows shooters... Up to 11 shots, isn't mm, it? ...can be modified and have up to 11 shots very quickly. And because of that, it was taken off the relatively unrestricted category A and um, it's up to the states to decide how to reclassify it and mm. they have to decide unanimously, unanimously. Yeah. Mm. and it looks like New South Wales was wanting it to be treated fairly leniently and all the other states were saying no we want category D mm. and category D seems to be people who are professional pest control shooters a very, very small segment of the shooting community who, yeah. can, who can get access to these weapons. Mm. And that, to me, sounds like a good idea, Category well, D, for I, this sort of gun. I think it should be Category D. I mean, it's, mm. um, you know, it's it's not a breach action or anything like that. You've got a um, lever arch where you can basically get off a shot a second, you know, mm. which is a hell of a lot. I think we need to err on the side of... Uh, Oh, inconvenience for the odd farmer who wants to fire off 11 shots really quickly as opposed to the inconvenience of the community having this rifle around that can mm. kill 11 people very quickly. Yeah. And uh, um, there are other options. So that's good to see. That looks like that's going to be the end result for the Adler shotgun. It's going to be Category D. Yeah. That'll be an interesting one, Scott. In the upcoming election, as we... Because we're, you know, we've got things to say about Islam and Muslims, and uh, a lot of people will be voting for Pauline Hanson um, and One Nation because of that issue. Mm. Um, I would suspect on something like this, One Nation would be pro. I think they are pro guns. Yeah, uh, be... yeah, they are. They are pro guns. I have seen uh, this is back a while ago now. Pauline Hanson was at a. Um, shooting range and that sort of stuff this is back 20 years ago when she was first in parliament yeah um so i think she is pro guns Mm. um it strikes me as one of those things where we can distinguish ourselves from one nation and mm. say yes we have concerns about islam like they do Mm. um but um if you're looking for differences one of them would be gun control where i suspect they're quite lenient and open to relaxing these sorts of things so so we'll see about that. Um, Victoria, dying with dignity um, policy. So they're looking perhaps at the end of this week. Yeah, of, they are probably going to be the first Australian state to do it. I reckon the Andrews government will do it. Well, I dare say they will. I mean, like it's um, 
you know, what are the chances the government will change the law? Not bad given the public momentum, Labor's record and progressive reform, blah, da, 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 da. It's no coincidence either that soon after the report was tabled, more than half of the Cabinet's 22 ministers lined up to openly declare their in-principle support for a shift. Mm. You know, that um, says a hell of a lot. Mm. Interesting uh, definitions people need to be aware of in this field now. So it seems that um, there's a distinction now between voluntary euthanasia and assisted dying. So the difference is self-administering the drug. So assisted dying is where you provide the drugs, but the people have to take it themselves, as opposed to voluntary euthanasia where a doctor might well inject it into you. Mm. Key difference there, obviously, and the Victorian model that they'll probably look at is the assisted dying one. So, um, so you would still have to administer it yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So it makes you wonder. Then um, Nitschke's machine was a um, laptop that you used to answer three questions to, and then that would take over and yes, would then inject yeah the poison into you. Yes. It makes me wonder whether or not the doctor would be able to. Minister the cannula. Yes, I agree. Interesting to see how that works. Yeah. Whether that would fall under assisted dying or whether that's voluntary euthanasia because you needed a doctor to... Yes, to, to put the needle yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. Good point. We'll find out about that. Um, Jakarta protests. Um, we previously mentioned that the demonstration against the Christian mayor... Um, he did not... The poor guy. He's really copping it, isn't he? You know, he, he didn't say anything all that bad. He just simply quoted the Koran or something like that. He, he did. He said something like, you know, you've been told you can't vote for me because of the Koran, but that's not true. But if you want to believe that, it's up to you. Like, hmm. that's literally... Yeah. Not literally, but that's in effect all he said. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, he's really copped it. And it's, you know, he's had a demonstration against him on Friday that drew 200,000. An anti-Otec pro- mm. a hop protest on November 4 attracted 100,000. You know, it's... A mate of mine, though, said that um, organising 200,000 uh, Muslims to protest on a Friday afternoon is dead easy. Oh, is it? Because they all gather for Friday prayers and they're not going anywhere for work or anything afterwards. So... Everyone's at the mosque, and in a country of millions of people like that, um, where Jakarta might have 25 million, you know, the peak of its population during the day, getting 200,000 just to uh, to leave the mosque and head down the street is, is, not, that is not that hard, even though it sounds like a lot to us. It's mm. perhaps not as many as you might think. Meanwhile, in Malaysia, the Prime Minister there is leading rallies against Myanmar's situation with the Rohingyans. So we've got Malaysia shoring up support from the Islamic community there by criticising what's happening to Islams in Myanmar. Yeah, and, you know, it's... It's understandable because they've got a very large number of Rohingyans in their own country. I think they've got mm. 56,000 of them or something like that under mm. their own country. Then you then come down to this paragraph here that makes it, <laughs> opens everything up. Some critics accuse Najib, who is grappling with a financial scandal of using the rally to win support of this country's Muslim Malays before general elections, which are due in 2018. that mm. may be called earlier. Mm. So... I don't know. I mean, it's it's understandable because they've got 56,000 Rohingya refugees living in Malaysia. It is understandable it's also appropriate for a Muslim-majority country to speak in favour of the Rohingyans. But then you also got to remember that he is facing a financial scandal, something like a billion dollars or something like that. Uh, yeah, I forget what the... What the what the um, numbers were, but it was quite substantial about the amount of money that had gone into his coffers. Hmm. This article says that it's a long-standing... Um, uh, it's a departure from a long-standing policy of non-interference by ASEAN members in each other's affairs, which is really? probably true. Yeah. That they don't talk about each other that much. Who knows? We, but we haven't... You know, prior to the last month or so, we haven't... We're just seeing more and more of, well, Indonesia and now Malaysia mm. about um, 
you know, pandering to the Islamic mm. vote in their communities. It's a worry. Mm. Ah, it is. And finally, as a worry, Tanya Plibersek. yeah. <laughs> no, ju- no case for cuts to overfunded private schools. You know, I always read that. I had to read that twice just to make sure I hadn't missed something. There is no compelling case to cut funding to overfunded private schools and redistribute the money to disadvantaged schools, Labor Education spokeswoman Tanya Plibersek says. Hmm. You know, she's mad. You know, it's... You know, you've got a situation that um, was reported in the... uh, What was it? The... um, Sydney Morning Herald. Who were they for? Fairfax. Fairfax. In the Fairfax Press, saying that, you know, you've got the situation that, that, and that this is half a dozen schools Hmm. that were getting well above their SRI or whatever it was, you know. And you've then got this situation that Tanya Plibersek's out here now saying that there's no case for cutting that funding. There's every case for cutting the funding. You know, those schools can look after themselves, they should be cut back to below their SRI Mm. and then they should also have a look at the indexation that goes along with it and that sort of stuff it's absolutely outrageous that you've got a situation where you've got these schools that are able to make money hand over fist from their parents Mm. that are then getting above what their SRI is it's crazy yeah it's uh, anybody who's looked at education funding in a you know, um, in a neutral way, yeah. just trying to arrive at a solution, has said for years, the problem is this whole no school will be worse off policy. Exactly. Because gutless politicians, politicians... won't fight it, yeah. Yes. So, um, included in this article, references from a guy, Mr Boston. Boston, yes. Former head of New South Wales Education Department, member of the Gonski Review Panel, Uh, who wrote, The solution to Australia's education problem is not pouring more public money into education, but redistributing the existing funding strategically to address the things that matter in the schools uh, that need it. Um, There's too much spent in wealthy independent schools, um, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is the problem. No school can be worse off has been the case for the last 30 years and that's why school funding is in the mess that it's in. It is a hell a of a mess. Labor education spokesperson. Yeah. What? What's <laughs> happened to the Labor Party? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it seems to me they've adopted the whole Tony Abbott Dr. No thing. Yeah. And that whatever the, whatever the coalition comes up with, they're just saying no to. You know, and it, they are looking like idiots. Yeah. It's it's just like the Labor Party here in Queensland. It's like you, well, the Labor Party here in Queensland power, and they don't want to do things exactly. that you expect of a Labor government. Exactly. And you know, you know, me and my better half were saying this the other day. You know, like you know, Beatty had his faults, but at least he did something. Yes. You know, and Bly had her faults, but at least she did something. You know, yes. whereas Palaszczuk, nothing. No. Yeah. yeah. So I just I'm flabbergasted by Tanya Plibersek saying that. Yeah, so. it's it's absolutely insane. I mean, like, and this is a point where the two of them could jump on the same boat because you've got Simon Birmingham actually out there saying it. Yes, yes, he, we've he, got the liberal liberal minister saying it, saying we need to look at this. Yeah, and we've got the Labor mm-hmm. saying no. no. Exactly, it's madness. It really is madness. It is. It is. <laughs> in your words, Scott, it is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. There we are. That's where we're up to. All right, dear listener, we shall be back next week for episode 75. Until then, thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much for tuning in, yes. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Cheers. Bye now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and 
subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.